I'm like, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. So like I said, Luke chapter 16 tonight, and it, it isn't, to me, it wasn't the easiest lesson. I thought I, I got a little confused sometime, but, I, but we're going to do our best to go through it line by line. And I think, I think when you leave here tonight, we'll all be seeing it a little clearer. But, you know, last week we saw how, I mean, a lesson like last week it was, it's just so clear. It's so easy and simple to understand. And I mean, the obvious message and theme of last week was that the, that Jesus just loves the one. I mean, one at a time, he, he sees the value of one soul. Um, we saw the, the lost sheep, we saw the lost coin, and we saw the lost son. And I think we got the message. We're lost. We are lost without a savior. And so we we can visualize that shepherd going after his little sheep. You could hear the reasoning of that little sheep thinking, hey, there's a hundred of us, hundred of us in here. Who's gonna know if I just zip over to that 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 fence and get that greener grass? And you know, that's kind of what I think we as humans do. Oh, who, who's gonna know? You know, I'm coming back but I just want a little fun, or I, I want to do this or that. And, and even though we know it isn't, it isn't godly character or whatever, just, um, we're just so tempted. But, you know, Paul says that no temptation is too great if we go to the Lord for our way of escape. And there's always consequences because that little sheep, you know, there he is out there probably just a frolicking, and then all of a sudden he slips and he ends up on his back and he can't get over, and or he's in the briars and... And then we see how, you know, Jesus comes after us, not just for salvation, but he comes when we think we're so smart and we get ourselves all tangled up in the earthly messes and he comes and, and he retrieves us and brings us back. I thought it's just such a, a lesson to, to behold and to hold to your heart because I think Jesus was really trying to go after the heart of these hard-hearted Pharisees. And then, of course, the, the woman with the lost coin, you know, she wasn't going to quit until she found it. With that kind of intensity, with that kind of determination, that kind of desire. So she went after that coin. She turned the light on. She took her broom and swept every corner. She carefully searched till she found it. And I thought, you know, do we, do we care about the loss that much? Do we have someone in our mind that we know is not living for the Lord? Maybe they're not even, maybe they don't even really know Jesus. They know church and they know religion, but they really don't know Jesus. And maybe in your mind, you know somebody that if something should happen to them, if, they, if something should happen to their earthly life, you with all confidence know that they're going to be in glory. You know, I think this is the, the lost coin, that kind of intensity, you know. And what did she do? She turned the light on. I mean, make sure that they hear God's word. This is the light. And then are you willing to give the time and the effort? Because it is work, but it's so worth it. And we're going to get more into that tonight. And, and so, and then, of course, the, the, the lost son, 
and how easy it is to think that the lost son was that naughty boy that took half of his inheritance or half of his father's inheritance and just went out and partied and had the time of his life. I mean, I'm sure that he's got stories. I'm sure he was a popular guy. And, and but then, you know, when the bottom falls out, like I said, it always does. And, and then there, you know, Jesus in that parable made sure we saw, I mean, he was at rock bottom. I mean, you just don't go sit and want to eat pig food and not know that you are at rock bottom. And so, but that's sometimes where he's got to bring us. I mean, he's got to bring us to rock bottom where we finally, we finally stop trying ourselves. And, but in the story, you know, the lost son is not him. You know, even he, what a rascal he was because he came, remember how he said, came to his senses, he, he, he got that speech all prepared and he got to his father and he started the speech and he only got to confess and repent and the father said, that's it, he don't even have to tell me the rest of it. You know, he was already calling in the, the calf and the, the ring and the robe and everything else, but isn't that Jesus? You know, all he wants to hear is our confession and our repentance. The lost son is that one who is just so hard. I mean, he should have been rejoicing his lost brother is found. And, and he should have been so excited. But this is the whole message Jesus was trying to tell those Pharisees. You know, they saw nothing but negative, critical, and they they just didn't understand how important what Jesus was doing was to people's lives. And so then, you know, he just, it's this, the father went after him, talked to him and loved on him just as much as he did his rascal son. And, and the son just was, you know, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. And so, again, without, you know, you might think you're perfect, but all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so until you see that, I'm sorry to say it, but you're lost. And so the lost son was that one. So that brings us to tonight's lesson. I thought, wouldn't you know it? You know, he gives us that easy one. And then, then he brings this one. But, but I, I, I think there's a reason for that. I think he absolutely does not want us to miss any detail of, of Luke 15. You know, the, here the simplicity of how one soul is so important to him. And that is a message that shouldn't be hard for us to understand and feel. Now, this lesson, I think the reason why he may, I think he even said it in a way, when Luke wrote it, he, Jesus even said it in a way where he didn't want to make it so easy for us. Because so, sometimes when, when it's easy, it can go in one ear and out the other because we can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that. But in this case, if it's a little complicated or confusing, then a lot more times then we will stop and Hopefully, you don't just say, well, I don't get it, so we'll move on, or I don't get it, so we'll see what Lonell has to say. You know, hopefully, that we're learning that if we just sit and really ask the Lord, you know, ask his spirit, because that's his job, is to take these words on the page and make them real to us. 
So, I mean, I had to do that this week for hours, to be honest with you. But, but it's so good. It's never time wasted. It's always good time spent because um, you can't, you can't outgive the Lord. And no matter what, his word will never return void. I mean, you know all those verses. So it is rich time. But, but let's go through it. Jesus told this to his, his parables. He told this to his disciples. He wanted them to hear this story. It doesn't say it's a parable, but we know he's trying to get a, a big, important point across. And so he starts by using a story that will grab their attention. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. In the King James, it uses the word steward. And a steward, a manager, was very, very important to the owner. And we know that Abraham had a steward, and his name was Eliezer. And he was so important to Abraham that Abraham said, now I want you to go to my people, and I want you to pick out a wife for my son Isaac. So he must have really trusted his steward. A steward always took um, and managed all of the owner's property and wealth, his possessions. And then we know another one. We know Joseph was a steward to Potiphar. I mean, he was in charge of all Potiphar's wealth and possessions and everything. But then when Potiphar's wife came after him, it's kind of like you could almost see him say, whoa, that's one thing I'm not in charge of. You know, you could almost almost figure him saying, you know, no, 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 you're, you're his property and his property alone. And so, but see that there again, he was loyal to, he was loyal to his, his master and wouldn't do anything. What did he say? I can't do this against against Potiphar, and I can't do this against God. You know, so these stewards, these managers were trusted by the owners. And except in this case, right here, I mean, this guy was a piece of work. I mean, he was all out for himself. And this whole theme of this lesson tonight is the number one rule of the world, individually, business, the number one rule of the world is self-preservation. I mean, it's if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have his spirit working in you, then, then you, are, you are all for yourself. See, he doesn't make it complicated. There's only two choices. It's either you choose to do his way or you go your own. It's either about him or it's about you. And you and I make that choice all the time. Now, this man did not at all have the same kind of qualities that Eliezer had, that Joseph had. No, he was out to get what he could. And so it says that he was caught. He was caught. He was caught in and he was called in. And he was asked about it by his, by his master, by, by the owner. What is this I hear about you? I'm sure it was kind of a shock, like, I trusted you, man. I mean, what did I hear? I want you to now give an account. I want you to open the books. I want to see you give an account of your management. And I still want to see the books, but I want you to know you're done. You're out of here. You're fired. 
So the consequences were very clear. But the, but the owner still wanted to see the books. And I think that between the time that the manager got the books to bring them to the master, he used those, I don't know how many minutes it took, but he used those minutes because look what he said. He said to himself, what shall he do now? Because I think there were a lot of perks. There were a lot of perks to this job. I would dare say he even had his lodging taken care of. He had to probably had a place on the, on the grounds. Because look at he's all shook up about what? He says, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. And then he says, I'm not strong enough to dig. Now, I don't know, maybe he is an old guy, but I don't think so. For some reason, I do not think he's an older fella that really seriously doesn't have the strength. I think he's just lazy. And I think that he just doesn't have any muscle anymore. And, and more than that, I think he doesn't wanna. He doesn't wanna do hard labor. He's used to the cushy job. And so, no, I, I don't want to dig. I don't do hard labor. And then when he said this, and I'm ashamed to beg. You're not ashamed to steal, but you're ashamed to beg. You know, because I think between verses 2 and 3, this whole story could have been so different. And this is what I'm sure the Lord was hoping that would happen to these Pharisees that would finally catch on because, like I've said every week, he's tried every angle to try to get them to, to see themselves. But between verses 2 and 3, I always say there's white space. What could have happened there? And that, that manager, that steward could have said, I confess it, I admit I blew it. I don't know, it got the best of me. It was so tempting, it was right there. I was having a few financial difficulties and so I skimmed off the top. I mean, you, know, you hear about that. But then he'd come clean, he would fess up. I'm sure that there would still have been consequences, but for his own benefit, just to confess it and repent of it, so you don't have to carry that guilt. But see, you can either do that, because we all make mistakes, we can either do it that way, or we can do what he did. Let's see what I can do. Let's see what I can do to make this, you know, more, more beneficial to me. And he is, you can tell he's no dummy. So he says, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know that, I know what I'll do. So I, I know what I'll do. All of a sudden, flash. I got it. I know what I'll do. So when I lose my job here, I will have made some friends that will then welcome me into their house and you can tell what, what he's going to be doing next. He wants them so obligated that, well, let's go on. It says, so he called in one of his master's debtors, probably one of the bigger ones. Sound like to me. He asked the first, how much do you owe the master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, hey, take your bill. 
take your bill, sit down, and quick and quickly, let's just make it 400. Let's cut that bill in half. Well, what do you think that that, that debtor is thinking? Like, this is wonderful. Thank you very much. I would dare say, because that's quite a substantial difference from 800, owing for 800 gallons of olive oil to now just owing for like 400. Cut it right in half. So I would dare say he said thank you to that guy. In fact, he probably inserted, if there's ever anything I can do for you. <laughs> and this guy, and this guy is thinking, that's just what I wanted him to say. You know? So then he goes to the next one. The manager then went to the second one. How much do you owe? Oh, a thousand bushels of wheat. He told him, You take your bill and you make it 800. You make it, you're paying for 800 instead of a thousand. Now, did you notice he didn't quite get the good deal? He didn't quite get the 50%. But, but still, when you have something that large from 1,000 bushels to, you know, paying for 1,000 bushels, now you're paying for 800, or, yeah, 800 bushels. I mean, he still says, that's a good sale. That's a good deal. And he probably, too, said, oh, thanks a lot. That was such a big bill. I wondered I was going to pay it. And so, oh, just by cutting it that much, oh, that, that's so good. Oh, if there's ever anything I can do for you. So do you see the number one rule going on? The number one rule of the world, self-preservation. You are just seeing a class act here of that. And then, verse 8, the master, here comes the owner, he then hears about what's happened. And really, I, I thought that took guts, really, because he, just, he doesn't even have the right. Those aren't his things. He doesn't even have the right to discount but he does, and it says the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, this is where I started getting confused because in the parables, like last week, I mean, you know, I kind of thought, well, I'm sure, I don't think I'm wrong about this, the shepherd is referring to Jesus, right? And then even the woman of the lost coin, this is what Jesus does. He goes after the one. And then even the prodigal of the, the lost son, the father represented Jesus. That's what he does. So, you know, I'm thinking, oh, this owner is Jesus. And, you know, he's going to teach this guy a lesson. And then all of a sudden they get to verse 8, and it says that the master commended this dishonest manager, because he acted shrewdly. I thought, no, no, that's not Jesus. And then the more I read and the more I sat there and tried to figure it out, I thought, this rich guy is just as crooked as the other guy. We got two crooks here. And the reason he, he commended him was not because it was okay that the guy stole from him, but but he he was he commended him because he acted shrewdly. I would say he's thinking takes one to know one. He, he probably said, you know what? Um, I don't really approve what you did, but I got to hand it to you. That was a clever one. You know, both of these guys are unbelievers. They are not sons of light. They are not believers. They're, the un they're both unbelievers. Then it makes sense to me. So should we expect anything but? 
Because even, I'm telling you, even in business today, if you don't have some grounding with your Savior or some understanding about him in your heart and life, in the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear to, to tell you to do it the right way, that number one rule of the world just seems to take over. So this is what's going on here. In the word shrewd, now I looked it up in the dictionary. It's not that the word is so terribly bad, but there's just something about the word shrewd that I don't think belongs in Christians. I just don't. That's my own opinion, but shrewd. It just kind of sounds sneaky, under the table. It just just shrewd. And really, the only two times that it's used in the Bible is here. And in Genesis chapter 3, describing the snake. See, so I don't really think that shrewd is really a word that, that we should be thinking about, that we should be complying with or acting like. And then he goes on and he says, this, this dishonest manager, this owner, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I thought, that's kind of a snotty thing to say. That's kind of a put down. You know, he's really kind of bragging. He thinks, you know, I think he's, when he says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing... We know how to do it. We know how to get a deal done. We know how to make big money. And we don't really care at whose expense. We know how to make this business thing work. We know how to do it. You know, I, I think he probably is insinuating, you know, the people, the, the sons of children, the, the people of light, that means the, the believers, he's probably putting us down saying, oh, all they do is pray about it and have faith. We know, we know how to, we have street smarts and we can get that done. I didn't like that. I was offended by that. Because I'm telling you, as children of the light, as people of the light, maybe we're not shrewd. Maybe we're not under the table getting things done. And maybe we're, we're not, I mean, all the, I know plenty of people who are believers that know how to get the job done. They know how to make money. They have been given the gifts by the Lord and they know how to use them. And this is the whole point of this chapter. To see the contrast, are you going to use what God has given you for you, the number one law of the world, it's all about you, or are you going to take what God has given you and you're going to use it for him? Because see, now in verse 9, this is where, again, I was a little confused because now we're talking the first person. It's like all of a sudden Jesus is talking. He's not telling the story anymore. And now he says, I tell you, I tell you. And it's kind of like if you've got ears to hear, hear. Or, you know, when he says, I tell you, that means I am speaking and this is what I want you to hear. And then he says these words, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Now, I read that and I thought, oh, man, that doesn't sound right either. 
I thought I was so sure that that was Jesus talking, and it is. I just didn't finish the verse. So when Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, he is basically saying, there's nothing wrong with wealth. And the thing is, too, wealth is not just money. The wealth that he's given us, it's the time he gives us. It's the talents and the gifts he's given us. And he's saying, I want you to go out there in the world. I, I want you to use that. I mean, Abraham was wealthy. David and Solomon were wealthy. Job was wealthy. Lydia was wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth. Again, this is really a simple lesson. Because it is just, it, but he wants us to think because it's, when it, whenever, when we ever have to talk about possessions and earthly things and money, oh, right away, up goes the wall, there goes the fingers in the ears. But I think this time he's saying, I want, I'll tell stories, I'm going to try to explain to you, I want you to think this through, I want you to think and, and see that there could be an area of your heart that you're not quite you're not quite surrendering it all. You're not using it all for good. So let me finish the verse. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Now he is now talking about Go ahead and make friends. See, this other manager, he made friends. He made friends, but for what reason? so that he could then have a place to live that they would owe him. It was all for his number one rule of the world for self-preservation. Jesus now is saying, how about it? If you start taking what I've given you and you start making treasures in heaven, you take what you've got and, and you start using, you make friends so that when it is gone, and at first you think, well, that means when, when all the money's gone. No, but no, if, if, it, if it's money, if it's, if it's gifts and talents, if it's time, I think he, he's pretty, when it's gone, when life is over, when your life is done. So when your life is done, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. So this is where he says, I want you to experience the fact that someday, someday, and you might not know their name, you might, you might not even know what you did, but by your life, by maybe your words or maybe, maybe the way you lived your life, someone was watching. Wouldn't it be just the best if, if all of a sudden we're in glory and someone comes up to you and taps you on the shoulder and you turn around and you don't even know who they are, but all of a sudden they start singing Ray Bolt song to you. Thank you for giving to the Lord because I am a life that was changed. Because you took what the Lord gave you and you used it in a way that profited for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm only telling you this for an example, but a few weeks ago, I got this email. It came out of nowhere. And you know, Tom and I loved going to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, Grace Reform Church. It was such a wonderful church. They, they started at 7.30 at night. They didn't even have a church service at night. But, you know, this was the day when people came to church because they didn't even have to. 
They just wanted to. So that church was packed at 7.30, and we just loved it there. And, and you know, it's just one of those experiences many times that, you know, when church was done, by the time we left our time, because they're an hour, you know, ahead of us. So by the time church was done and we got in the car, it was like 10 o'clock at night. And then we get our boys all, all spitting and washed, put to sleep in the back seat, and then we drive all the way home and then drop them off at school when we get home. You know, that was one of those experiences. We did that so many times, but, you know, we knew that the concerts were going over. We knew that it was always working. We could just sense the Spirit of God working. But you really always don't know. But every once in a while, I think the Lord just wants to give you a hug. And I had this email, and and this lady, this lady who I'd never heard of either, and it was such a long email, I almost thought about just skimming it. You know, that goes, oh, me, it's kind of too long. But, you know, that's not nice, is it? So I read every word, and I'm so glad that I didn't miss it because she went into detail about how this, this one lady who had such a horrible life growing up, early years of marriage, um, you know, an abusive husband. Um, he ended up leaving her and the kids, and she, you know, just had to raise them by himself, and yet she went to school, became a social worker, really made something of her life, and, and, and she went on and on, and she said, I just wanted you to know that at the funeral, you know, and when her, when her life story was read, one of her kids got up there and read her life story, and she says, you know, we were just listening in the, right in the middle of the life story. You know, the, the, the child or the person, one of her children, um, adult, was just reading it. But then, you know, came to the part and said, you know, and what changed her from that mess of a life to wanting to make something of her life, to raise us kids the way she did. And she just happened to be at a Linnell Pierce concert. And, you know, and I stopped and I couldn't believe it. What? I mean, there's no way I know the lady who's writing me. There's no, there's no way I even know the lady they're talking about. See, this is what he's saying. You don't have to know. You don't have to know. Someday you will. Somebody's going to come up to you and pat you on the back and start singing Ray Bolt's song to you. And it's going to be wonderful. And you're, you're just going to be astounded that through you, and you think, well, me, what can I, but you just don't realize the power of what a life for Christ, how that life could be so full of light and hope that someone is watching and they want to come. And that just might be what they need to then spark and go to a church or whatever. I mean, now we left, we left for home. I never talked to that lady. She never wrote me, but someone was there to continue her on. Oh, I, can, I consider that such a blessing. So this is what I think he's saying. When Jesus then started, stopped telling the story and said, now I tell you, how about you making friends, different kind of friends? Makes sense to me. <laughs> And then he continues on in verse 10. He kind of continues this same kind of, you know, check your heart kind of thing. He says, if you've got the character of Christ, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Wouldn't you just love it if 
you know, after we leave this earth, that, that words that describe us could be well, not only lovers of Jesus, uh, but also words like honest, integrity, respectful. You know, those are kind of words that it takes a lifetime to, to prove and to work. But Jesus is saying, you know, people, when they know you and they know you as honest and trustworthy, whether it's a little or a lot, your yes is yes and your no is no, and you, you stand on that. To me, I think that is something to strive for. Those are the words I want to have people describe me with. And, you know, what we do today is going to determine the kind of words they're going to describe us later. I still say Luke is talking to church people. I know he's talking to the Pharisees. And he's then kind of grabbing them by the neck by then continuing to say, but whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. See, here's your choice, one or the other. You know, you can, if you're, if you're dishonest with a little, there's no way somebody's going to trust you with, with a lot. And then there's going to be words like, can't trust him. Nice guy, but can't trust him. I mean, wouldn't that just be horrible? So Jesus is just saying, even to church people here, he's saying, okay, take a look. Just take a look. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worthy wealth, who will trust you with, with true riches? He's now just going to ask a couple questions that I don't think needs to be explained. He's asking the questions to you and me that he's saying, okay, I, I need you to answer them. You don't have to answer them in a big group here, but um, I want you to answer them. Um, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Hmm. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then verse 13, which we all know so well, he comes down, okay, questions are done. This is the statement, no servant. And that's what you and I are, servants. No servant can serve two masters. You just can't do it. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I mean, he just, it's like, can I say it any clearer? And the reason why you can't, because we sure would love to. We would love to think that it works this way. That uh, the one who controls my life, you know, well, you know, I love the Lord. And he's, I got him there on the, right on the seat of, of the head of my life. There he sits. But, you know, that's for Sunday and other days. But I have a right with my things because I earned it. I deserved it. This is mine. And I can call the shots. I have a right. I can say what I want to do with this. Jesus, you just kind of sit in your seat and be quiet for a little while because I have a right. I got this coming to me. And I'm going to use it the way I want. You know, not that he doesn't want us to, to have things and to enjoy life. I mean, he 
can't wait to do that for us. But I think what he's just saying is check your life to see, are you like the first part of this chapter? Are you really, are you really number one rule of the world? Or are you just, it's all about you? Or are you taking what he's given you? Because really everything that we have, I mean, even if you have a lot, the Lord gave you the smarts and the talents and the gifts to be able to do it in the first place. There is no way any of us can take any credit for anything we do because it's all from him. And, he, and he's pretty much saying you cannot serve both masters because they're going down two different roads. I mean, you know, it's either the road following God's spirit in the way he wants us to live, in the way he wants us to use what he's given us, or there's the road of self. And they're just totally two different roads. They're going in two different directions. And let me tell you, they're going in two totally different destinations. They're going to land in totally different de destinations. Then verse 14. Now, I know that red-letter edition Bibles, they're, they're no more, the red letters are no more important than any of the other words. Every word in this book is true. Every word is under the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. I know that. But I just, I just kind of like it because when I see this teaching, because in Luke 15 and 16, it's just all red. He is on a roll. He is talking. He is teaching. He's instructing. I don't want to miss a word. But in verse 14, it's like there is one verse that all of a sudden, it's not Jesus talking. And I thought, did the printer print that a little blacker than normal? Because for me, verse 14 is so dark. It just stands out amongst all this red. The Pharisees who loved money. Now, we know Jesus has said it. We, we know that this is true. Money isn't the bad, the bad guy. It's the love of money. Because why? You can't serve two masters. And when you love money more than you love Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He even tried to contrast our love for, for people in our lives even, and the things of this world. And, I mean, he says, if, if you do not hate your father and mother and brother and sister and everything, you know, that's a strong word. That's his point. He says, I want you to see that it's, a, I want you to love me so much more that it looks like you're almost hating the, them because you love me that much more. So when you love money in that, in that place where you're supposed to love the Lord, we got problems, Jesus is saying. And he's talking to these church people because, you know, inside they, they think that they, they got it all worked out, that everybody is, you know, I think they even got themselves fooled. But they, it's right there, the Pharisees who loved money, when they were hearing all this Look what they did. They sneered. They sneered at Jesus. And I think that's another word that just makes my skin crawl. Sneer. Mocking. Just making fun or, yeah, right. You know, how long have you lived? It takes money, you know. I mean, you can just hear all of their, their talk. They're just sneering at him. What a bunch of nonsense. Get in the real world, buddy. 
You know, they're hearing this, so they're sneering at Jesus. You know, Jesus, I, I, I want to be like this when people do that to me. I just want to be able to handle it in such a graceful way. But I mean, he handled it graceful, but boy, he didn't miss a beat. He said, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. You've got yourself so talked into. You've got yourself fooled, and you're trying to fool everybody else that, that oh, you, you have got it all right. He said, you are the ones who justify. You have to, you'd have to justify yourself so that you look good in the eyes of men. But God knows. God knows your hearts. He can see you're not fooling him, and that should matter to us. And then he says, what is highly valued among men. So what men think is great, you know, the, the number one rule of the world. When they're following that, they think this is great. This, boy, they have accomplished a lot. They've got a lot. They're, it's highly valued. Look what I did. Look what I achieved. Look what I got. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. And I have to say, that word detestable, I, that reminded me of, of that, those verses in Proverbs. In Proverbs 6, Solomon wrote this. Solomon says, these are the six things that God hates and the seven things that he detests. So let me just read Proverbs 6 to you. These are the seven things that the Lord hates. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. Sneaky. Probably, you know, using the word um, that, that we heard, you know, they... Yeah, what's the word? Now shrewd. Yeah, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. Probably, you know, they're shrewd. And you can just, it really says this. And then another one, a lying tongue. A lying tongue. Oh, he, he just detests a lying tongue. And even though you think, you can call it fib, you can call it a little white lie, you can call it whatever you want, but he detests us when we lie. Third one is hands that shed innocent blood. And you, you want to say, well, of course, you know, murder is terrible. He detests murder. But I think it even goes, he detests the heart that would even consider taking the life of another. I think these detestable things are more inner heart things that he does. I detest it when you, when you have haughty eyes and you're not real. I detest it when you lie. I detest it that you don't even value life. He detests a heart that devises wicked schemes. Isn't that just what we studied in the first part of this chapter? He detests feet that are quick to rush into evil. They don't care if they they don't care at what expense. If it's gonna benefit them. He hates feet that he detests feet that are quick to rush into evil. He detests a false witness who pours out lies and doesn't bat an eyelash doing it. He detests that people can just, out of their mouth, sprue all this untruth. 
He detests a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Ooh, that's a tough one. You know, those who just, it seems like they just enjoy being critical. They just enjoy causing trouble. They just want to be divisive. And, and I think we all know situations, sometimes even in the church, where over something, you know, there's someone that just sparked, just got the half the church on their side, you know. Oh, it just breaks my heart. I, I picture too many of them in my mind right now. But to know that God detests that, even among Christians. So... Then he goes on and has some additional teaching. And he says in verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, John the Baptist. So he's saying the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John the Baptist, and that's pretty much the Old Testament. You know, for, for hundreds of years, it was the Old Testament. It was the law and the prophets and even John the Baptist, even though he's in the New Testament, he's really classified an Old Testament prophet because he foretold, he was the forerunner of the Savior. And so it was like the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant, which so many people want to shove under the bus and think it's just not beneficial anymore. And in these teachings right here, he is going to show us differently you know, we've, we've heard Jesus say throughout Luke that he did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. But there are principles in the law, in the Old Testament, that still remain. Psalm 119, God's word stands firm in the heavens. So yes, the new covenant was when Jesus came and he fulfilled the promises from Genesis 3 all through Malachi that a Savior was going to come. But then the new covenant came, Jesus came, and then, the, you know, you and I, we're sitting, we're sitting in the new covenant, we're sitting on this side of Calvary, and the empty tomb, and Pentecost, and we're in the age of grace. And see, the Old Testament, I think this is why a lot of people don't like to study the Old Testament. They, they say, well, there's just so much killing, there's so much, you know, there's so much um, hard, you know, killing families and all that kind of stuff. I just don't want to go there. And I'm thinking, you know what you're looking at? You're looking at, this is what God thinks is sin, and you're going to see judgment right there and then. Old Testament, you saw a lot of that because God proved that, that his judgment was going to show them that he doesn't put up with sin, not for one second, and not when sin is going to be um, skirted under the rug. Every sin will be dealt with. But, you know, now we're getting lazy because we're in the age of grace. And so we think, oh, you know, obviously he let that one go. Obviously he's letting that one go. Well, and I'm telling you, it's, it's undeserved favor. He's holding on to that because it's not his will that any perish. But the day is going to come. It's called on that day there is going to be a judgment and not one sin. It's either going to be dealt with the blood of Christ beforehand or it's going to be dealt at judgment by the judge himself. So when, he, when he's talking this, he says, okay, um, yeah, the old covenant and now the new covenant, and yes, 
Um, Jesus came to fulfill many of the symbolics. I mean, there's no need for, for animal sacrifice anymore. I mean, you know, you think about the sim symbol of Noah, you know, the, of the ark. You think that ark alone, what a beautiful example of the deliverance of God. I mean, he's the door. You go through the door, and then the door is shut, and all those who go through the door are going to be saved, and if they don't go through the door, they're lost. And that picture of the flood and Noah, that ark saved people. That ark was God's deliverance. And then Sunday in church, I was reminded that that little that little basket that that Moses' mom put him in there. That little basket is such a symbol of God's deliverance. Because look at Moses was spared when every other boy was killed. Moses was spared, and this little basket protected him. And Moses then became the leader of the Israelites, who then through David. Through David's line, we got a savior. I mean, those are such beautiful stories that remind us of the promise. But the new covenant is as wonderful as it is to live in the age of grace. Don't, don't get fooled by that because the day is gonna come. He's just gonna, he's just gonna do it all at once. Whoa. But then look what he says. Since that time, the law and the prophets were proclaimed to tell John, since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. See, the new covenant, the kingdom of God is our relationship with Jesus. It's that beautiful relationship we have that lives inside of us. And we know, we know that there is only one way that that can be possible. There's only one way that we can experience the kingdom of God in, in us. We know God's terms. And we say it every week. We say it. It comes into every lesson. It's that humbling time when you confess and you repent and you know you can't do it and you humbly walk to the cross and it's the blood of Christ. It's those arms saying, come. And you come. And it's only those terms that we have this salvation, that we have the kingdom of God within us. But then look what Jesus says. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. I didn't quite understand that at first, but then I thought, okay, let's just think about what, what do people want? They want everything that Jesus has done for them but they want it on their terms. And it's like you can hear people say, yeah, and I'm such a good person, and I go to church all the time, and, and on and on they go with all these reasons, all their terms. Yes, I want, I want eternal life. I want heaven. I, I want all what, all what Jesus has said is coming. I want all that. But I want to do it on my terms. And I think there's, that's what he's saying. You know, people are trying to force them, themselves in there, and it doesn't work that way. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in none other. There is no other name under heaven by which you, by which you and I can be saved. That's just the way it is. And anybody trying to force themselves into a relationship with Jesus, which they don't probably, down deep don't really want, they just want the perks. 
That's why in verse 17, he comes back and says, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear. It's easier for heaven and earth to just plain disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. It's not going to happen. I wrote the law. I wrote what the prophets said. I told them what to say. These are the terms. I told the disciples to go into all the world and tell the gospel. I told the apostle Paul, this is what you say. And he's telling you and I, this is the way you can be saved. You believe in your heart, you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then you will be saved. The old rugged cross worked. And it's only there that you receive this. I didn't come to destroy the law. There are things, it's like the Ten Commandments. That didn't change. Believe me, that didn't change. It's still, that, that's the pen. The Ten Commandments, I kind of picture in my mind, they're like a, a pen that the shepherd says, now I want you to stay in there. And we think that we're so smug and we can jump out and then, I, and then you know, then you disobey the Ten Commandments. You disobey a commandment, you disobey them all. So, no, it's you follow the Ten Commandments, you're going to be okay in the pen. There are things that God said that does not change. And it's like verse 18. Did you, when you read this, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I don't know about you, but I thought, where in the world did that come from? I mean, it's just like it came out of nowhere. What does that have to do with this? And I do believe he just used that because, you know, it could be, it could be a couple of those Pharisees or probably catting around. And no one even knows because they're so good at it. And no one's going to even suspect them because after all, look who they are. Or maybe a couple of those Pharisees aren't married and think, you know, she's getting a little old. I want that one over there. She's a little better looking. And, you know, back in Moses' day, you could. You could just throw that woman a certificate. And even if she wasn't a good cook, they, that's all it took. They could come up with any cockamamie reason and they could get a divorce. And I think Jesus was saying, that is one. This is one of those institutions that I created and I don't fool around with. Genesis 2.24 said, two shall become one flesh. What man, what God has brought together, let not man separate. And I still mean it. And it's just getting way too lax again. I know it's not the impartable sin, and I, I don't want to get in. It's not the time or the place for this. It's just that Jesus said, there's some things that don't change. Now, in these couple, of, in that verse there, I mean, you know, in Matthew 6, Jesus explains that a little more, and, you, and has a few exceptions to the rule. In 1 Corinthians, Paul even said, there's, there's a few exceptions to the rule. But here, I think Jesus just wanted us to see some things mean a lot to me, and I will not just stand by and let you think that it's just a bunch of fluff and you don't have to do it. And then there was a rich man. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Jesus is going to be very descriptive with this, with this story. 
In fact, we, we don't know the, this rich man's name. And, and, you know, whenever I don't see a name, I pretty much think the Lord is saying, uh, check yourself on this one. Because he, he does acknowledge Lazarus and call him by name. So he said, you know, picture this. Get yourself in this story. There's this rich man. Oh, he, he has got, oh, he just lives in luxury every day. And he has the finest of clothes. He's got the most beautiful house. He's got gates that, that encompass it. And everybody drives by. And oh, wow. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. And there were a couple of times I thought, you know, that's a little more descriptive than what I want to know. But there was a reason why Jesus wanted us to say, you know, this is terrible. How can, how can someone, how can someone know that there is a real person with a real name and he's got sores on his body? In fact, the dogs are coming by licking, and all, all he wants to do is get a little garbage that we're going to throw out. He has nothing. He's covered with sores. He's longing to eat what falls from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the sores. So he wants us deliberately to see this lavishly self-centered, all-consuming, number one rule of the world, man. And they put this Lazarus, and he could care less. Well, there's one thing you can be sure of. There's one thing you can be sure about life, and that is death. And this is what happens. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. What a picture Jesus is wanting us to see. Lazarus died. He had nothing as far as the world was concerned. But there was along the way somebody who shared the story of salvation to this man because he is carried up by the angels to Abraham's side. Now we're talking real wealth. We're talking someone who's really rich here. And then it says the rich man also died. See? <laughs> he died too. And then look in verse 23, in hell. And you know, yeah, Jesus is talking quite blunt here. But you know, I think he's looking at these Pharisees and he's saying, because they're probably going, oh, oh, and he, he probably says, no, no, I told, we talked about this for so many times. I told you there is just two ways to go. I told you about the ax that, that is laying at the, the foot of the tree. You want to play games with God. I told, told you about, you know, if, you, if your salt isn't salty anymore, it's not even good on the manure pile. I might just throw it out. That's you. I mean, he's, he, I told you. And there's only two places to spend eternity. And so what you do now is where you're going to spend eternity. I told you. I told you there were consequences to your disobedience. And so I'm going to tell you, you're in hell. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham. So, see, that's why I know he's a church person, because he probably is a Jew that thinks, oh, Abraham. Remember, remember when, they, when John the Baptist said, don't even try this with me. Oh, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm all fine. 
See, I think it's one of those guys. Because he knows Abraham. So he calls him by name. He says, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. See, he even knew that, that Lazarus. He knew his name, and he knew that he was at the gate of his house, and he could care less. So he called Abraham by name, and he called Lazarus by name. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Who's he still consumed with? All he cares about is himself. And, and you know, the, the little nobody there, you know, just send him. I don't expect you, Father Abraham, but just send that little nobody and just have him make me comfortable and happy. Oh, it just gets sickening, doesn't it? It gets more and more sickening. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. I think Jesus is saying, and you fellas, you sh you sh that shouldn't be a surprise to you because I gave you a whole lesson on how the last will be first and the first will be last. I told you all about it. to be a follower of mine. You've got to deny yourself and take up your cross, that cross of self, crucify it every day, and follow me. I told you. The, even in this story, none of this is new material. They know what he's talking about. And he says in verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. I think Jesus just, again, wants to give us a visual. Personally, from what I understand when I read about heaven and, you know, in Revelation 21, and that I, I just don't think... I just can't see that you and I are going to be able to look into hell and the people in hell are going to be able to look at us. I, I just don't see it. But here, I think in, in making sure, he says, I want you to know hell's a real place, heaven's a real place. And he tells the guy right off the bat, there's no way that that can happen. You're not going to get here. People here are not going to get there. No, it's all cut and dried beforehand. You, it's too late. I told you that too. The day's going to come where it's too late. And you're experiencing it right now. Then he answered. Then, then this rich guy's answers. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. He's still, he's still wanting Lazarus. No, just, just send him back. Let him warn my brothers. I mean, you know, yeah, there's a part of me that says, yeah, he wants his brothers warned, but he, he's trying to do it his terms. You go tell Lazarus to go back to earth. They all know that Lazarus died, so boy, will that be something. If they see Lazarus, he's alive. Oh, that'll do it. They'll believe then. Abraham replied, they have Moses. They have the prophets. To me, they have... God's word. They got it. Let them listen. They're, they've got opportunities. They're hearing the gospel. We all have to make our own choice. No, Father Abraham, he said. 
I mean, he thinks, no, that's not pizzazz enough. That's not going to get my hard-hearted brothers. They're only going to be wowed by, by someone dead coming back to life. No. Oh, they'll repent if Lazarus goes. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. No, that's not the way it works. You take God's word for what it says, and that's how you come to know a Savior. And you are obedient to what the word says. That's how you become a Christian. That's how the Holy Spirit then takes over. I thought tonight, I'd just end. I'm going I'm to go over those songs that we sang at the beginning. And just listen, because, you know, this is what we can have. This contrast chapter just shows, okay, well, who in the world want, who wouldn't want to know that no matter what we face, greater is he. We have someone greater within us than he that is in the world. There's no excuses at all. We've got Ephesians 3.20 that reminds us that we have the power and the authority of that spirit within us. We can do immeasurably more than what we could ever imagine or think through that power. Greater is he that is in me. And then to be able to say, because when was the last time you really sang this song? It's my Jesus, my, my Jesus. I love you. Oh, I know you are mine. And for thee, all the follies. Oh, they're fun. Oh, yeah. I can really have a good time with them. But for thee, all the follies. I know that's not what you want in my life. So for thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. Why? Because you're my gracious redeemer, my savior. If ever, oh, hear this, Lord. If ever I loved you, I love you more now because of this lesson, because of what I'm learning. I love you more now than ever. If ever I loved you. Jesus, it's now. Because I am starting to really realize that you took me just as I was without one plea. It was your blood that was shed for me and, and that the best me come. You're just there welcoming me. Come to me. I want you to know, oh, Lamb of God, I'm coming. And just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of every dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse every spot. Oh, Lamb of God, here I come. I'm coming. And I want that. I want to continue in this frame of mind. I want to continue with understanding the two differences, the two different roads. It's about me or it's about him. And, and once I've come to Christ, it's not about me. It's not supposed to be about me anymore. It's about you. It changed everything. Jesus changed everything for me. So please grant me a closer walk with you. I know it's going to take time and effort, and I know I'm going to need your help, but grant it through all the means a closer walk with you daily daily walking and I really do know what it takes all to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give not holding on to some of it all to him I freely give I will ever love and trust him 
in his presence, I want to daily live. And I just love this verse. All to Jesus, I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken. Take me. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. Heavenly Father, what a story. What a, what a lesson. And you are talking to church people. And Lord, we know that, you know, we, we just need your constant help because the fight against our flesh and blood and jumping the fence and thinking that it looks a little greener and who's going to know and all these tricks and excuses that we give. And Lord, you really made us take a look at our materialism, our possessions. I mean, we can use it all because they're all from you and we can hoard it all and take it all and, and, and use it all for our own self or we can use it to lay up treasures in heaven. Because I don't think there's one of us that doesn't want to hear sometime. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am, a, I am one that has been changed through it. I'm here because of what you are willing to do or say or give. So, Lord, it's just so personal, but you love us. You want it personal because sometimes you just want us to feel we're like we're the only one in here. Lord, may we be willing to listen because we do have ears. Now, may we be not only hearers, but that we are doers, that we're going to be different when we leave here than when we came because of your instruction. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.